Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Emily Tampkin in Washington, D.C. I'm Jeremy Cliff in Berlin. It's Wednesday, September 30th. Welcome to World Review from the New Statesman. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's the morning after the, are we still calling it a debate? The encounter between Donald Trump and Joe Biden on U.S. television. And so we're doing a special episode, bonus episode of World Review, just to recap what happened and what to make of it. Emily was live blogging throughout, as listeners may know. You can still look at her her live blog, which she did with our data journalist, Ben Walker, through the debate, unpicking what was being said and adding charts and background commentary. And that's all on our US election hub, newstatesman.com slash US hyphen election hyphen 2020. So do check that out and check out Emily's roundup of the of the event afterwards. But for, for listeners that haven't caught that yet, Emily, give us the kind of the headlines, what went down? Yeah, it was, I guess what I'll say is that it was a hard event to live blog because normally when you watch a debate, you watch for what the the candidates say that's of substance, right? Like what does he say about his policy? How does he respond? Where, where do they seem really secure in making their case to the American people? This was not that, okay? I cannot stress enough the extent to which this was not that. This was one man who is also the president just interrupting, yelling, lying, to, to call this a debate, you know, an exchange of ideas was is is completely, completely misleading. So that's the first thing I would say is that just that it was just Trump inserting himself angrily throughout with misstatements and also deeply concerning statements, which we can talk more about later. But the thing that came through for me from Trump's side was that he's trying to there's two pillars of Trump's politics. One is white grievance and the other is cynicism. And both were really on full display last night. I should I should say that I think that former Vice President Joe Biden did actually a fine job in these circumstances, but I don't know that that <laughs> enough of a value add to justify the 90 plus minutes that we as a nation were subjected to last night. And I mean, to talk on, on that subject of, of white grievance, I mean, stepping back a bit, it does seem that, I don't know if you agree, but it seems to me that the most striking point was that point when he was invited to condemn white supremacism and conspicuously not only declined to do so, but seemed to send out some sort of message of support to this um, Proud Boys organization. So I guess my question is, first of all, do you agree that that was the, the kind of most significant moment? And, and, and in any case, what to read into that, you know, is because you would have thought that you go back to the Trump of the Republican National Convention. He was recognizably 
Trumpy, but they did sort of try to soften his image a bit. You know, his his speech was given via teleprompter. It was it was obviously very nationalist, very very Trumpian, but also had a degree of restraint that clearly wasn't present last night. And they there were attempts during the RNC to to bring black Republicans onto the stage and sort of try and you know push back a bit against the idea that he is running on a, on a white nationalist platform. I mean, where's all that gone? And I mean, is this is this now a sign of how he wants to prosecute the last weeks of the campaign? Uh, I would say two things. The first is that I think that all of the people of color and specifically black Americans who we saw at the convention, in my opinion, and I think this is borne out if you look at specifically the polls of um, black American support for Trump, which is at like 5%, right, compared to 90% for, for Biden. Having certain black Americans at the RNC was about speaking to white people, right, and, and kind of soothing their guilt, not about actually substantively winning over black voters. That's number one. Number two, uh, yeah, I mean, you would think that it's not difficult to condemn white supremacy. You would think that it's not difficult to not tell the Proud Boys, a far right group, to stand by. And yet here we are. And the reason that we're here is that this is Trump's base, not the Proud Boys specifically, but but white Americans who feel despite, you know, every statistic, despite American history, despite American reality, who feel that white people are are somehow the victims in all of this. And, and that's not to say that there aren't white Americans who do have very real grievance, who have been left behind by the country, but they're not the only ones who have those grievances. They are the only ones who are taking that out on every other race in this country. So in some ways, it's like, yeah, why can't he just condemn white supremacy? But the reason that he can't is that that's, that's part of the, that's, that's the whole sell is that he is is appealing to white people, specifically white people who are comfortable with the denigration of non-white people in this country. I, I also just want to say that I think that this idea of white grievance is tied to Trump's, like, it, it's kind of, I don't want to spend too much time psychoanalyzing Trump ever, but last night I was watching the the punditry after for a little bit, and Rick Santorum, who is a former Republican presidential candidate and is on CNN as a political commentator, said, he was like, well, Trump came in too hot, but you have to understand that he feels aggrieved. Aggrieved? Sir, you're the you're the president. Like, you're the most powerful man he feels, in the he world. Feels yes, that Trump feels aggrieved, that he feels attacked. You know, the fake news is out to get him. Everybody's so unfair to him. So he feels aggrieved, and that's why he's so angry. Okay, if we're going through people who have a right to, to be aggrieved in this country, I'm sorry, the president is at the bottom of that list, any president, right? Like, it's you. You're the you're the guy with all the power. You're in charge. But I think that if you look at, tr- at what Trump has said through the years and how it's easier to be a smart black man than a smart white man in America, or even if you look at his statements about U.S. foreign policy, right? And, oh, Germany and Japan, they're taking advantage of America. You know, America, it's a which is... complex, isn't Exactly. It? It's all about, it's all about, despite all evidence, believing that, that, that things are unfair to you. Obviously, white supremacy is about racism and anti-Semitism and hatred. And I don't mean to downplay that, but I think it's also about this unfounded belief that it's unfair to you. Do you think there were any other particularly significant moments that we should be uh, bearing in mind over the coming days and weeks? I mean, it was, as you said, overall, it was it was a, a, rem- a remarkably chaotic spectacle. But beyond that, I mean, anything that we should pay particular attention to, to the extent that any discrete and specific points were actually conveyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think there are a couple. The first that I'll mention came at the end when they were asked about the integrity of the election. And Biden said that, you know, people should vote by mail or they should be they should be 
there should be structures in place to go out and vote safely, and they should trust that their votes will be counted, and that Trump's cynicism is an attempt to get people, that Trump is trying to sow doubt and make people cynical and stay home. Fine. Trump then says that he, the courts should be counting the ballots, and that it's not good if if we don't know who the winner is on November 3rd, the election night, which we won't, right? Because some in some places you can't even open the ballots until election day. He's talking about how fraudulent unsolicited ballots are, which in some states in, the, in America, that's just how voting is done, right? Everybody gets a mail-in ballot. I That's what I live in Washington, D.C., that we were all sent mail-in ballots. And it's not because it's fraudulent. It's because that's how voting is, is done in this in this part of the country. He also told his supporters that they should go to the polls and watch. He did not mean register as poll watchers. He meant go and make sure that they, they don't see anything that they don't like. That's voter. I mean, that, that could easily be voter intimidation. So I thought the president calling for that was another bone chilling moment that we should um, note. The other moment, the second moment that, that stood out to me was that at one point, Biden was talking about, you know, Trump, you call military you called members of the military losers. My son, Bo, he served. He was not a loser. Bo is Biden's son who died of, of cancer. My son, Bo, wasn't a loser. And Trump starts going off about his son, Hunter Biden, who he had brought up before. And oh, Hunter Biden, his various misdeeds and his drug addiction. And Biden turned to the camera and said, you know, my son, I'm paraphrasing, but my son, like a lot of Americans, like a lot of you, has battled addiction and it overtook him and he's dealt with it and I'm proud of him. And I thought that that was actually... Like a gen, I thought it was a genuinely human moment within this. This, and, but it, and it speaks to a larger point that Biden tried to make throughout the debate, which is that Trump's making it about my family. Trump's making it about himself. I'm making it about you. And actually, I, I changed my mind. I have a third moment that stuck out, which was Trump, in speaking about the 200,000 Americans who have died because of the coronavirus pandemic, said, "Well, if it had been Biden, it would have been two million. Like to me, that stuck out because I, I don't know. How can it be that hard to just take some semblance of responsibility or even to express sympathy, right, for for not just for the 200,000 lives and the millions of people who have lost their jobs, but also all of the lives that that has touched, right? For each one of those 200,000 people, there's grieving mothers and fathers and friends and cousins and and boyfriends and girlfriends and partners and and so on and so forth. So just the complete lack of sympathy that was uh, evidenced in that moment, I was something that I was thinking about. That ability, the kind of the counterpoint, that ability to to sympathize and to empathize clearly is Biden's greatest great strength. You know, it's as as you yourself have, have written, he has experienced tragedy in his life. You know, he his wife and child were killed in a in a car accident when he was a young man. He then lost his his son to cancer more recently. And you know, he has got an ability to connect with people and you see that on a on a local level. Very difficult to do that in a in a format like like last night. But I thought that as you mentioned, the point about where he, he pivoted on the attack on Hunter Biden to, to say, you know, to make this point about people with 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 drug problems. And then I think I think in the other area where his strengths could still come through despite the barrage of interruptions from Trump was was on the pandemic, where I noticed, I don't know if you felt this too, but Trump sort of was slightly more reserved in talking over him and elbowing his way into what he was saying. It's clear that the pandemic is a is a is a strong issue for Biden, isn't it? Yes, because the pandemic, I mean, because we're living through it right now. Right. So, you know, Ben Walker points out that otherwise Trump is pretty strong on the economy. Okay, but the economy is not what it was in January. The economy is what it is now because of the pandemic. It's just affected so many people's lives and so horribly and has been handled so just so miserably here. And Trump is in charge. Right. So, yes, I think that's a very strong 
strong talking point for Biden. And I agree with you that, that it, it ties into, I mean, first of all, it is our reality that, that Trump is president and the pandemic is bad. And so, yes, he's Biden is running on that. But it plays to, as you say, because Biden has a lot of what I don't think of as strengths as a politician. You know, like he's not a great debater. He's not great with huge crowds. I, I don't know that there are like he's not super exciting to certain parts of the Democratic Party, i.e. the left. But his great strength is that he can really connect with people specifically over grief. And we are a country mm. in mourning. Yeah. And it plays to that strength as well. well. The natural question to ask at this point would be who won? So I'd be interested in, on your views on that, but I almost feel whether that's not quite the right question in the sense that, I mean, who can win a contest like that, that is a sort of chaotic, disorganized shouting match that, that, that rarely got really to, into, the, into the weeds of things. I suppose the question is more, is this Trump essentially trying to kind of run against the election? Because, you know, you, various things that you mentioned, you know, the, this, this attempt to get his supporters to, to crowd around polling stations, the sheer ugliness of the spectacle, the fact that, it, you know, Trump almost seemed to be urging people watching at home to switch off and just say, I can't cope with this. The, the kind of the Antifa conspiracy theories, the call out to, to this kind of violent right wing group. It feels a bit like he's, he knows that he's, he's behind, you know, all the polls suggest that he's lagging Biden by some way. And he's like a sort of, it's almost like a sort of bad board game player who's just like now flipping the playing board over and sort of, you know, running against the whole process itself. It's well documented that he's trying to delegitimize the result and plans to challenge it if he doesn't win. Can anyone really be the winner in something like this? And I mean, can it really be pulled back from here? Because, you know, we've got two more debates to come, supposedly. Another series of performances like this, and you really wonder how many people are going to really feel they want to be involved in this in this in this democratic process. I mean, I noticed that you 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 quoted on the live blog the the polling guru Frank Luntz saying that this would put off undecided voters from even bothering to participate. Is that where this is heading? A few things. I think I think Biden did a fine job, right? And, and the polling that has come out today and that came out last night said that most people thought that Biden quote unquote won. But as you say, this was such an ugly spectacle that I, I don't think there is a winner. I just think that there is a loser. And that loser is not Trump. That loser is us. And I don't mean like live blogger and journalists. I mean, the loser is the American people, because this is like, this is our debate. This, this denigration of, of democratic process. No, there's no winner. We lost. Trump is absolutely running against the election, which is bizarre because he's the incumbent, right? So you do not expect and I don't mean this in a way of like civility norms. I mean, like the bare minimum that I expect from an elected leader, not even the bare minimum, like below the bare, like if you go to the basement, then open a trap door and you go down. That part of my expectation is that the president does not denigrate the democratic process. And he's doing it probably because he doesn't think he can win otherwise, or because of this, again, this, this, this belief that everybody is out to get him and unfair to him. I, I think that that is a huge story, but I also think that that story as Biden said last night, is in part, and as you're saying now, to make people tune out, right? Like to make people, and this is why I say that the twin pillars of Trumpism are white grievance and cynicism. It's to make everybody as cynical as Trump is, right? To say like, this doesn't matter. They're not going to count the votes. It's just going to go to the courts. And Amy Coney Barrett is going to be on the court and they're going to give it to Trump. And like, why bother? Trumpism isn't really much of a coherent ideology, apart from what, what you say about, about white grievance. And, and instead, it is simply a, a belief that everyone's out to screw over everyone else, that any attempt at a sort of civilized exchange of ideas is, 
is a joke and you're a fool if you go along with it, right? And if you honestly, if you believe in this process working, which to be fair, it has not worked for a lot of people, but because of like yeah. systematic <laughs> voter suppression, not because of, of widespread mail fraud, which does not exist, that then you're a sucker. And nobody right. wants to and be so, a sucker. So to, prop- to propagate that sort of Trumpism is simply to just spread chaos, spread disengagement, run against the process. It's a very different approach to politics. It's not politics. It's it's right. right it's something else. <laughs> it, it, but this is not. This is not. He's not running a political election campaign. He's he's playing with power. He's engaging with that. He's engaging with power, but not politics. Were, were there any peep out of the Republicans uh, following the, the, the debate in, in criticism of the way he behaved? I'm, I'm guessing not. Uh, very few people lost money gambling against Republican backbones in the last years. I think people acknowledge that Trump did not put forth a reason to vote for him. You know, you have Rick Santorum on CNN saying, oh, yeah, that was, it was too much heat. Juan Williams over on Fox was saying, you know, he didn't he didn't put forth a compelling reason. This is purely anecdotal, but some Republican voters from my hometown on Facebook were kind of were, were sharing like both men and saying, oh, is this the best we can do as though as though they were equivalent? Mm. What I would not hold my breath for and what I would encourage our listeners not to hold their breath for is Republican senators, exactly as you say, to come out and condemn his quote unquote, his, his debate performance, such as it was, right? Like it's just not, it's not going to happen. In the same way that Trump is not going to condemn white supremacy, these people are not going to condemn Donald Trump. It's not going to happen. And so we need to figure out if you are invested in accountability and in the political process, it's not going to come through that channel. I, I don't right. think, right? Like, I just don't think the cavalry of Republican backbone is coming. It's amazing, though, how how much that sort of both sides-ism, that sense that, oh, you know, wasn't this a terrible debate or these two two old men shouting at each other, this sort of the the comparison of the two men that was implicit in a lot of those Republican reactions that you talked about was also there in a lot of the the news headlines afterwards. I mean, it was striking to see how many of the kind of top lines of the news write-ups didn't really make clear that the chaos was not coming from both of them, that the the interruptions and the kind of running against the process and bickering with the moderator, this, 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 this was not Biden and Trump together. It was Trump trying to undermine the whole format of the debate. I, feel, I do wonder on, on, on behalf of the media whether you know, there's still a way to go in accurately characterizing the chaos that Trump causes as being his chaos, his mess. I completely agree. And I think that what American media in, spe- in particular needs to reckon with is that in trying to seem objective, you are you are actually rendering a different picture than that which was there. In pretending that this was both men contributing to this debacle, you're you're being misleading. So actually what you're trying to do, which is to seem really fair and just report it straight, you're not reporting it straight because you're overcorrecting to make it seem like both sides are equivalent. And they're they're just not, right? Like this is not two people disagreeing mm-hmm. on what the tax code should be. This is not two people who think we should handle China differently. It's also that, but it's two people who have a fundamentally different understanding of the democratic process and whether we should continue to use it. Like that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I kind of don't like it's been four years. I think the American media has gotten a little better. But I, I there were pundits in Washington, D.C. the morning of the debate saying people forget what a good debater Trump was from 2016. What? He lurked around <laughs> the stage following Hillary Clinton, like sniffing constantly and, and saying that she was going to be in jail. Like that's not what what are we talking about? Yeah. I mean, I was I was struck by one of the quotes that is being sort of, I don't know, eye rollingly shared by a lot of Trump 
critics even is this line that CNN's Jake Tapper came out with. It was a, he described the, the debate as a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck, which is an accurate description and a fair description and an amusing mot. But it also obscures the origin of that hot mess, dumped the fire, train wreck. I, I want to say in, and again, in Tapper's defense, the very next line or the line after that was, and it was down to, to Trump. Okay, um, fair enough. It was, it, was, it was more that line that was being quoted, but that's, that's, a, that's but, a... And that's part of it, right? It's like, it's what, you, it's what you lead with. And I think that I watched a little of the CNN talk and they were clearly like <laughs> beside themselves with what they had just seen and were very clear that it was Trump, but it was a lot of like, it was a dumpster fire as the headline and then you know, the body would have been, and that was mostly Trump's fault. Yeah. And I think that you see that in print media as well. It, the, I think there is an important difference between leading with Trump's messed up the debate and making that your sort of second line. I mean, I don't know. We're, we're no, I agree. I agree. Media. I should say in the interest of full disclosure that my original headline, which has now been changed, was three takeaways from <laughs> from the debate. So I also did not do the thing that we're saying you should do, but I should have done it. True, but your, your lead headline on the debate itself was that the U.S. president said... The yeah, thank you. Never mind, everyone. I did a great job. No, just kidding. But, but you know, like we work at the New Statesman. So I think there... I don't have the same like hang up about seeming objective as I might have if I worked at a different publication. And I understand that there are different obligations that come with both of those and that they have different... You know, that there are different expectations for those reporters. That's fine. I get that. But I'm going to go... I'm going to go back to this idea that this is not like... If you make it sound like both men, oh, like Trump, Biden called Trump a clown, which he did. And so therefore it was both of them. You're actually not being objective. You're obscuring reality. Yeah. I think it's it's objective to lead with the fact that this was Trump's doing. This is Trump's scorched earth tactics. And, and you should say that openly. Okay. So we've got two more debates allegedly still to come. The, the next one on Thursday, the 15th of October. Do you think they will go ahead? I think the vice presidential debate will go ahead and that will be a more normal debate because Mike Pence is a more normal, quote unquote, normal politician than Donald Trump. Although we should remind listeners that he's still running with Trump and in service of Trump. And that's the next one up, isn't it? That's October the 8th. Yes. Yes. So we'll be live blogging that. The other two, I, I, I think I think it's more of an open question about the other two debates. The trouble that I have is I don't think the Biden campaign is going to want to have it said that they pulled out of the debate, right? If I were the Biden campaign, which I'm not, I'm a, an objective journalist, I would not do more of this. Like what, what is the value add here to voters? There, yeah. there, there is none. There is only, there is only degradation and loss. That, 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 that gives a win to Trump's seeming strategy of essentially trashing the election campaign itself or the election. Right, right. So it's, it's, which is the reason that I think it will be a difficult call for them to make. And ultimately, I think there will be more. Well, on, on that, I mean, just one final question is, I mean, what does this, what does this mean for the rest of the campaign? Just putting, putting the question of the rest of the debates aside, does Trump just, I mean, I, I drew the comparison between Trump last night and Trump at the RNC only a few weeks before. Does he continue on this trajectory? Does he just keep ratcheting up the kind of the, the, the extremism and the kind of almost the kind of, what do you want to call it, electoral nihilism of his utterances? Or does this point us in some sort of direction or other, apart from presumably a very messy election day at this rate? The short answer is that, and I'm writing about this for our newsletter this week, so open that when it comes to your inbox. But I don't, I don't think that these debates matter the way that they used to. You know, this is not Kennedy-Nixon, where like Nixon was sweaty and therefore <laughs> people who watched on television thought he lost the debate. We're now just inundated with with 
these candidates all the time on TV, on social media, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, the poll that we cited last night was that some 73% of people who tuned in were rooting for their guy, whereas only 6% were watching to make up their minds. To those 6%, I would say, I'm so sorry. So I, I don't know that this debate really matters. But to your second point, you know, is this just Trump for the next month plus? Yes. Because even if he has a day where he's more subdued, this happened. This genie's not going back in the bottle. We have a month. We have roughly a month left. This is how he decided to conduct himself with the first debate. This is what he decided to set. These are the dog whistles he decided to blow. It's going to be a very chaotic and dark rest of the campaign. Okay. Uh, well, and listeners, you can follow that dark and chaotic campaign with the New Statesman over the next weeks. As mentioned, you can follow all of our coverage on our hub, uh, newstatesman.com slash US hyphen election hyphen 2020. As Emily also mentioned, we'll be covering it in our World Review newsletter. This, this week's issue will include Emily's take on the fallout of the and the reactions to the debate. So do sign up for that if you don't already, newstatesman.com slash world hyphen review. We will be offering live blogs for the upcoming debates as and if they go ahead. So do look out for those too. And we will we will follow up uh, any further presidential debates on the podcast as in this episode. We will be back with our next regular episode on Friday. We will be speaking to Ariana Tabatabai on Iran. So a little, a little break from the US election, although we may touch on it. So please tune in Friday for that. And you can send us your You Ask Us questions on Iran, Iranian politics, and also anything else at youaskus.co.uk. Send them in there. Our producer has been Nick Hilton. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode of the New Statesman World Review. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.